Welcome to Managing Marketing. Today uh, I'm in Singapore this week and a uh, chance to catch up with Edward Pank, who's the Managing Director of Walk Asia. Welcome, Ed. Hi, Darren. Good to be here. Um, Ed, uh, well, we've just uh, spent a couple of days seeing and uh, presentations at uh, the first Mumbrella 360. Um, it was quite an interesting array of uh, information uh, provided, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was, uh, it was a good couple of days, actually. And I think all credit to the Mumbrella guys. I think they did a, did a good job first time they've done it in Asia. But there's some good content. Um, there are some um, interesting themes coming out of the conference um, around uh, how marketers can kind of cope with the complexity that there is now in the marketplace, um, the, how they can drive their, back, their brands forward, uh, the risk that that sometimes entails. Um, so yeah, lots of good stuff and lots of um, good work that was that was seen. So enjoy. Well, that's right. These um, these events, whether it's award shows or conferences, seem to be about recognizing creativity, innovation, performance. You know, in in the uh, the work that people are doing, and it's really interesting because you do get a sense of there's quite. Uh, divergent ideas about you know what is innovative what is creative isn't there yeah from my perspective um, I think creativity is can be single-mindedly focused on on just what are good ideas and um, that kind of maybe oversimplifies the whole kind of area of um, creativity and innovation but at the heart of every innovation the heart of good creativity is a fantastic idea and that is born out of a really deep understanding of who your audience is. So gleaning a fantastic insight that helps deliver a great idea that then can inform either a communications uh, plan itself or actually inform part of that business offering, whether that's a new innovation or a service offering, something like that. So it's at the heart of good creativity. I fundamentally believe it's, it's a great idea based on a human insight or, or a human truth, as we heard this week. So, so you know, you're in a unique position to be able to get a, a terrific view of the marketplace. You know, here at uh, Walk, you've got a huge amount of uh, resources, research, data, um, case studies. Uh, can you um, share with us a little bit about what that actually means? You know, what what is that uh, Walk resource, and what does it mean to you and your clients? So yeah, we you're right, Darren. We have a repository of um, a lot of uh, thousands of uh, award-winning case studies, best practice, uh, insights, trends, and data uh, about the industry and uh, on how uh, our clients can do better, smarter marketing and advertising campaigns. So we um, we crowdsource, um, collate, and curate uh, all of these great ideas and put them on Walk. Uh, and then what we do is we draw out the metadata and the meta-analysis, which are the kind of key themes that we think our clients can learn from in terms of how they can manage the complexity in the marketplace and how they can do smarter campaigns. And, and really, um, it's about uh, what works in, helps support our clients in lots of different ways. But one key way, particularly for our advertiser clients, is to provide genuine inspiration. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of what holds 
marketing and advertising back in Asia is uh, is this fear, the notion of, you know, actually what I'm going to be doing is kind of taking a huge risk. There's a lot of complexity in the marketplace. How do I know that I'm going to be spending my money in the right way? It's, it's funny you should say that because uh, I think, yeah, you say Asia, but I think there's lots of markets where because of complexity, I hear a lot of marketers saying, who else is doing that? Every time someone puts some, a new idea or an innovation, the next question is, who else is doing yeah, it? Ab- absolutely right. And, and our mission really for Walk in, in Asia Pacific is really to, to help build the strategic might of, of marketers in the region and help make that transition from sort of tactical activation-based work into more strategic, more consistent, more long-term brand building work. And we can do that by providing success stories, proof points, evidence that a particular campaign in a category might have worked in a particular market against a a particular target audience. So help provide some evidence and some confidence to both the agency and uh, the client marketer that a particular particular strategic path is the right way to go. Mm -hmm. So that's really our mission, to provide the sort of evidence and, and proof point. Because you haven't always done this, have you? It was actually advertising that brought you to Singapore and you started your career in London. How did you get into advertising? I mean, what made you choose, uh, what was it, YNR London was your first agency? What, uh, what What was the path that led you there? So I was kind of always interested in business, but I wanted to do um, business with a kind of creative side. I always thought I had a bit of creativity. A bit of flair. A bit of flair, a bit of creativity and, and inherent within the D- DNA of who I am. So uh, advertising was the kind of perfect um, balance of, of business and creativity, if you like. It was quite difficult to get into, but uh, started on a grad trainee program and then kind of worked my way up. and. Um, and then, uh, and, and it's some quite good. I mean, Randy Kelly, Campbell, Roth, Y&R was you know a hot agency, even though it was part of the networks. Yeah, absolutely. It was a flagship uh, uh, creative shop for WPP uh, at the time, and we did some great work I, on Land Rover, producing some global communications um, for their uh, uh, their cars around the world, uh, and also Marks and Spencer Foods, which was quite a seminal campaign at the time. So is that what, uh, you know, because you have a passionate belief in uh, creativity. I do. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, is that, uh, you know, that experience uh, sort of reinforced that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think the whole uh, ideas ethos at Rainey Kelly was all about ideas. They were one of the first to come to market with actually um, uh, charging an idea fee and mm. um, they were one of the earliest of, uh, of, that, of that kind. Um, uh, so actually, instead of charging uh, uh, by commission or charging by project fee in terms of the time spent, they actually said, this is the idea for the campaign and, and this, this is, is the, the value of it th- in the form of a fee. Yeah, of, in the form of a fee and an idea, and, then yeah. they, and that fee would be repeated every, every year that that idea uh, ran. So there was obviously an incentive um, uh, for the agency to, to pr- produce consistent campaign that would work over the long term, mm. um, which I think is a great incentive to have. Because otherwise what you see is this reinvention at every opportunity. Absolutely, and that's, that's quite a worrying trend actually. Uh, we see more and more short-term campaigns, and by short-term campaigns I mean campaigns that run for, for six months or less. Yeah. Um, and I think that is uh, because there's huge pressure uh, on client marketers to be able to prove that their campaigns are working. 
and with the and if I can't prove it, I'll just change it because then Absolutely. I'm starting again. And the availability, the reset button. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and the availability of digital metrics. Yeah. And I think in the digital world that we we live in now, we kind of expect this immediacy. Yeah, it's like you know, it's digital, so we must know whether it's working. Yes, you can you can tell how many people are engaging um, overnight with a campaign, but in terms of the long term effect on the brand mm. and the business. Um, that's going to take a long time. Because the other side is that marketers are changing their jobs more and more regularly. You know, we're getting new CMOs, heads of marketing. Yeah. I think it's uh, something like uh, 30 months uh, on average in the US. So, yeah. you know, you've got uh, regular change on one side, yeah. uh, uncertainty and change in the process, yeah. and agencies themselves uh, almost driven by constantly wanting to reinvent the new yeah. rather than build long-term campaigns. Because, yeah. you know, I remember um, one of my favourite campaigns from around the time that you were entering uh, advertising was Happiness is a Cigar Called Hamlet. Do you remember those? Uh, it, was a bit the before, fo- it was a bit before my time, okay, actually. The, the, um, the photo booth I was, do, yeah, yeah. Yeah, was the famous one. But that was a campaign that went for years and years and years. Yeah. And they just updated it all the time. Oh, clearly, I'm much older than you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe a little, Darren, but not too much. Uh, yeah, no, it was, a, it was a great campaign. And it's kind of rare to see that longevity uh, these days. Uh, of well, I can't think of one. And I'm sure if I gave you enough time to go through the Walk uh, database, you could find something. But I, I think you'd struggle. I think, I think you're right. Um, there will be a few in there. I mean, one that comes to mind, but I know there was change quite recently, was um, Keep Walking for Johnny Walker. And yeah, that was changed, changed, changed a couple of years ago, I think. Mm. And the whole idea of masculine progression, which was um, you know, a very, really long-term brand idea that they stuck with over time and became quite powerful. Mm. But even that, I believe, has changed. Um, yeah, so there's definitely a few. Because, yeah, we talk about, and Marcus talk about uh, brand equity and building brand equity, but how are we actually building brand equity if we're constantly changing? Yeah, um, and that's uh, absolutely true. I think it's incumbent on both agencies and client marketers to build a long-term partnership mm-hmm. um, uh, with each other so that you, they can invest in the brand together uh, and I know that's easier said than done and I know there are lots of kind of pressure points and all the rest of it but if you make that commitment and invest in a partnership for the long term and challenge each other and also have uh, an ambition for your brand uh, and I think that ambition or that vision can be articulated through great work mm. uh, and that's what we try to do at Walk is provide case studies, success stories of who's doing the best stuff in, in any given category and Sometimes you know people can sort of they can they can talk a good game. They say, look, yeah, we need to improve our performance. We need to build our brand. We need to achieve X, Y, Z in terms of sales. But if you if you have work that is a focal point, um, that can help galvanise opinion and it can help bring stakeholders uh, on board oh. on on side, particularly on the client side internally. A, a powerful idea can absolutely align and galvanise people to an objective or to a viewpoint. Um, The thing I find is that often the internal stakeholders, the marketers themselves, are the ones that get tired of the idea. Even before the consumer has had time to really appreciate the idea, internally they're already tired of it and want to reinvent Mm, it. I think that's really true. I think um, clients and their agency, you live and breathe with an idea probably, you know, six months before the actual thing comes to market. So that's that's an an inevitability in a way. But yeah, I think 
stick with it in the long term. You know, if the idea is good enough, it should be able to be rolled out, and you can you can tweak it. You can tweak it and refresh it and refresh and extend it, it and yeah. do all those things. Just don't throw the baby out yeah, of the bathwater. Absolutely, say. and consumers these days are very savvy in, in being able to decode marketing messages and advertising messages. So actually, it's fine just to kind of tweak it, refresh it, and to mm. evolve it uh, all of the time. But yeah. Do you think a little bit is the whole way creativity is talked about within agencies? You know, I was a copywriter and a creative director for 15 years. And what I found was, first of all, the irony of having a creative department. Because it almost, uh, in a, by that definition, says everyone else in this organization's not, mm. first of all. Secondly, is that creative departments are almost incentivized to constantly do new because no one wants to extend or refresh. Mm. There's almost like, I want to put my stamp on it and I want to make it new. And that's being encouraged by the agency because there's more fees in it yeah. and by the marketers because they get tired and want something new. Yeah. Now, I think um, I think that is quite uh, an old-fashioned way of looking at it. Going back to Rainey Kelly, actually, there wasn't a creative department. Um, well, there were people that were copywriters, well, were, were the creators, but actually everybody sat with each other. Mm. It was all mixed up. It was a melee um, yeah, across the agency. You had planners and account handlers and mm. creative people all sitting on pods together, and that actually kind of created um, a really nice osmosis of ideas, and, and ideas could generally come from anywhere in that agency. Mm. Um, Do you have a handy definition of creativity that you work to? Um, it's a tough one because creativity uh, its a soft concept uh, and it's very, it's very subjective. Mm. But I think uh, at the heart of, uh, of great creativity is just, it's just brilliant ideas. Mm. Brilliant ideas that have a, um, a compelling human insight at the heart of them. And, um, and that's what kind of what we were talking about earlier. Because the one I like is uh, the creativity is the ability to see patterns in the world and in, the, in your surroundings that no one else can see, right? Except that once you see the pattern, it seems almost so obvious. How many times have you heard of great ideas yeah. that are just instantly surprising but then you go oh my god that is so obvious yeah. why hadn't anyone seen it before yeah. and i love that because you know this whole idea that everything has to be new goes out the window because it's not new it's just a new way of looking what at what's already there and right. and it comes from an essential truth because it exists in the world yeah. it's just reframed or reconnected yeah. in a new way I think that's right. Um, you say obvious. I would say uh, simple. Mm. Uh, I think great ideas. There is an inherent simplification uh, in that process, mm. so that what you see may look absolutely obvious, but it's just brutally simple. You kind of get it, and it's and it kind of just speaks to you. And I think uh, I think brands. It's incumbent on them now to find more interesting uh, ideas uh, and ways to be creative to stand out because. Within categories, everyone is starting to do the same thing. They're starting to follow each other. And mm. um, in my presentation in my brother this week, I talked about this um, concept of Mephisto waltz, which is this astronomical term of two black holes. They get caught up in each other's gravitational pull and eventually they just kind of collapse into one another. And that's what's happening to a lot of brands and categories. They Brands need to change the rules of their categories, mm. enable them for, for them to stand out. And we also talked about... Um, but, but that's that, going back to that behaviour yeah. of who else is doing this immediately reinforces that waltz because what you're doing is constantly comparing yourself to your competitors 
and not wanting to step out of yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a fantastic campaign that we showed this week from China, actually one of the World Price for Asian Strategies for SK2. Um, and if you know that market, it's kind of very cluttered and the, the usual um, sort of characteristics of that market, it's all about um, uh, beauty and uh, mm-hmm. skin whitening and you kind of have the usual kind of model shots. Um, and it's really dominated by the European players. But what SK2 did with their agency is really kind of really moved beyond just understanding their target audience, which is what were the kind of values behind uh, women in China um, who the government have actually labeled as Sheng Nu, which is, means um, uh, d- um, uh, kind of women on the shelf. Because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of pressure yeah. through, through, to pe- to, through parents to marry and all the rest of it. And actually, a lot of these women don't want to marry. They want to have their own independence and they've got the confidence to be there mm-hmm. themselves. So there's this thing called... Well, the generation of the single, you know, the single child policy. That, that's right. So there is a huge amount of pressure on their shoulders to carry on the family. Yeah. But also, you know, single child, they've been brought up to be an empress or an emperor. Yeah. And so they are more demanding or more expecting of having more in their life than just following the rules. Yeah, absolutely. And there's this thing in Shanghai actually called the marriage market where, yes, they, yeah. where parents actually advertise their sons and daughters to prospective kind of spouses. What's really interesting about this case study is that it was a Swedish agency that came up with the idea. Uh, and I think... It's interesting that actually they came from outside the region and outside China because they were able to maybe ask the questions that if, you, if they had been in China would be almost too obvious. They were able to interrogate the client, really get, get beneath um, the target audience in a way that they could empathize with the target audience. And so they had this marriage market takeover and they replaced the kind of usual answer you see with uh, amazingly empowering portraits of who these women actually are uh, looking absolutely beautiful. So. And it came off their platform of, of change destiny and had an amazing effect on their on their business performance. Because mm. this is uh, all this uh, talk that we're doing now about creativity comes at a time when business, not marketing, not agencies, but businesses themselves, are uh, being told and are embracing this idea of innovation to avoid being disrupted by their competitors. Mm. And I'm really interested in your perspective on creativity versus innovation because, you know, a lot of agencies have been pigeonholed, from my perspective, as being creative. But businesses are turning to management consultants and people like that for innovation yeah. and not, not the creative agencies. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, what is the difference between creativity and, and innovation from your perspective that would cause that? Well. I think at the heart of, of either um, is a great idea um, and I think as we talked about before great ideas have to have a human truth and an insight at the heart of them and whether that gets played out in just communication uh, or in, in advertising or whether that gets played out in terms of a, a new business offering or a new service offering um, it kind of depends on who the agency is and the, mm-hmm. the willingness of that client to open up their business um, yeah. and for the, for the agency to come in and to, to, to really and work with the client to, to innovate. But I think great campaigns can come um, from, um, from innovations around a particular product offering or a service. Mm. Um, there was, a, there was a, a really great campaign from a couple of years ago in, in Australia actually for the train service in Victoria. And their business problem was that um, uh, they didn't have enough uh, of this kind of weekend travel. A lot of the kids had moved to the city, to Melbourne. Uh, and weren't um, 
uh, weren't traveling to see their parents so they they came up with this notion and and I believe McCann worked with a client to come up with this prepaid ticket where which they called the guilt trip which parents could actually pay for, for their kids to, to use the to, ticket to, to, to come home yeah, yeah so what I think that's a that's yeah. a that's a product um, What's so, a new, so, new product new, development and based on a insight based on an emotional insight that mm. actually you can guilt your kids to come and see you at the weekend and obviously that increases um, uh, travels and, mm. and and produces revenue so um, and I like it because it actually goes to the core of a business problem which is low traffic low participation on weekends but a lot of marketers say to me that when they throw open the opportunity for innovation business innovation to their agencies they either get uh, new product ideas that are totally impractical or they get things that just lead to more comms you know it almost comes is fed out of what the agency does does best in quotes uh, which is uh, creating marketing communications and advertising mm. well I think I think I'd question whether the clients are generally opening up their business and really allowing the agencies to, to get hold of um, all the kind of interesting data points which, which can help inform that kind of creative process. Um, and obviously, when you, are, um, when you are innovating, when you are brainstorming, when you are workshopping, you've got a blue sky avenue and then you've got to rein it in. And I think you know, a good partnership with a, with a, with a, between a client and an agency will understand that the, the parameters of, mm -hmm. uh, of what you can do but I've, I think you've you've got to push it out there and then and then rein it back in again but I think at the heart of it it's just a it's a commitment on both sides for a genuine long-standing partnership wherever that's possible mm -hmm. so um, what do you think you know uh, there's a split between creative awards and effectiveness awards and generally you'll find marketers have very little interest in creative awards and more interest in effectiveness awards. So what do you see as the role, if anything, for creative awards for the industry? Um, I think creative awards uh, for the industry, um, it can help um, keep talent within agencies. Um, it can help um, uh, celebrate the, um, the craft of, of creativity. Um, and I think that's great, but I, I'm more of an advocate for creative effectiveness awards. Mm. Um, uh, you know, particularly working here at Walk, where we celebrate great strategy and creativity in strategy. Actually, so looking at ways to um, find more interesting ways to develop ideas, mm. reach target audiences, uh, and that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, yes, creativity is important. It can inspire. It can. Um, it can help uh, galvanise uh, relationships. It can it can help um, uh, push the careers of both client marketers and, and also agency folk. Um, and uh, critically, it's always helped uh, agencies retain key key talent or attract mm. key Could, talent. Look, the reason I ask is there's been a lot of controversy um, in uh, 2017, especially around the uh, Cannes Creative Festival and the awards there. And also because you know I was involved in running uh, award shows in Australia when I was a creative director. And my concern is that the methodology for creative awards is incredibly subjective. You know, it's basically other award-winning creative directors getting together and deciding what's good and what's not based on their experience which seems to lead to groupthink. You know, it almost becomes that there's a certain style 
of advertising idea that gets promoted. And I particularly see it in the way that uh, Asia is represented on international awards. Like you constantly see the US and the UK and and, and Australia and New Zealand up there in the leagues. Because I think the, the group of judges have got a particular Western, even if they're from Asia, they've usually worked in the West. So they've got a, a, a specific uh, Western viewpoint about what a great idea is yeah. um, that works against other ideas that may not fit the English Western. Uh, you know, and, and I think that subjectivity is what actually undermines the very uh, I think essence of the award process. I think uh, creativity uh, is a subjective uh, concept uh, and so is, is uh, can be quite challenging in that respect, but uh, I think um, we focus on creative effectiveness at Walk. Uh, and we actually published the, the Can Effectiveness Lions on Walk, which is, is actually creative work that has proven to have a business uh, result. So typically they've won a creative award the, the previous year and then they get into the, into the, mm. uh, the effectiveness, the creative effectiveness awards. And that, is, and that for me is absolutely fantastic because not only is it a brilliant idea, but it's proven to have uh, a very significant uh, business impact. Um, and we see kind of lots of uh, great examples. Of okay, that. so my scientist brain kicked in there and go, well, that's a skewed sample, isn't it? Because what you're not actually looking at is all of the things that weren't creative, but also delivered great effectiveness. Well, you're just looking at kind of what's, what's in front of you, and that tends to be some of the, uh, the best work in the world because it's been entered into... Well, it's had to have won, yeah. hasn't it? For yeah. the current effectiveness awards, it's had to have won the previous year and then be re-entered into the effectiveness awards. Yeah. But as a sampling exercise, the filtering says, you know, if you looked at that, you'd say, well, clearly creative work is effective. But where was the work done to look at the non-creative work and its effectiveness yeah. to get a, a comparison? Well, we look at, um, we focus on a lot of um, uh, effectiveness work from, from around the world and the Asia Prize, um, which is something that we, had, we announced the winners just a couple of weeks ago and I was talking about a number of this week, that's really just focusing on, on strategy mm-hmm. and the, stra- the strategic inputs that help deliver great ideas and then uh, has an impact on, on the brand and business. So, um, and I think there's a there's a really nice balance between creativity and effectiveness. If it's if it's just effectiveness without creativity, that kind of relies on on sort of the size of a business or the scale of a business, kind of brand muscle. If you but if you've got creativity, you can do stuff on a on potentially quite a reduced budget because it's that's that's the kind of um, the magic that's that, that gets your idea and, and brand noticed well at the Mumbrella conference Mumbrella Asia 360 we saw a case study from grab okay so grab's not innovative they're copying an existing you know the uber model but they've been hugely effective based on what was presented so isn't that an example of something that's been hugely effective but not particularly creative? Um, I think they, um, I think Grab is um, doing well in this region because um, they're perceived as being um, a, a local brand. Um, and in Asia, local brands do really well uh, against the big global behemoths, um, mm-hmm. uh, which is... But my point is that I think it is possible. Sometimes the creativity isn't in the marketing. Sometimes the creativity is just in the business proposition. 
Sometimes the creativity and innovation is by being second into market and just doing it a little bit better than someone else. Yeah, look look at what we uh, WeChat have done in China. Mm. They've they've combined what Twitter, uh, PayPal, Facebook, all on one platform. But see, to me, that is creative. That's or not creative. It's innovative in that they, they looked at the West and went, why do those stupid Americans have each of these on a different app? Why don't we just take all of them and put them onto one app? Yeah. What amazing utility it is to actually have a payment platform with a whole lot of social media attached to it. I mean, as soon as I saw WeChat, I went, whoever did this was brilliant. Yeah. Because it commercialized it straight away. You know, Facebook has tried, you know, makes money out of selling ad space. Yeah. I mean, what a 150, year old idea that is yeah you know uh, wechat is infinitely uh, a a innovative business proposition because it started with his a social media platform that is built on a e-commerce platform yeah no two thumbs up yeah. thank you very yeah. much it's brilliant <laughs> i just i was in china the other day and uh, it is the go-to platform for everything, even if you're paying the bill or oh. or just kind of creating a group conversation of people around the table. People will actually do it on WeChat. It's, oh. it's phenomenal. And, and uh, street vendors have a um, QR code that you just put your phone up to and, and your, we, uh, your WeChat account pays for whatever you've, uh, yeah. you've ordered from a street vendor. Yeah, It's not even a store. And yet, you know, in the West, you go to the banks and go, oh, I, I want to get, uh, you know, credit facilities to take payments from my customers. Oh, well, that's going to cost you, you know, $500 to set it up and yeah. $100 a month to have that facility. Yeah. And then we're going to yeah. take two and a half or one point two five percent you know the, the, the WeChat is so far ahead it is the disruptor that will actually bring the banks undone and, uh, and I but, but again the way the creativity or the innovation is in the very core of the business which is that's a good idea that's a good idea that's a good idea that's but, a good idea it's, it's, put it all it, together it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a great idea which which comes from a, a really good understanding of their audience who they're appealing to and, and, and what their audiences are, are, are looking for yeah well human beings absolutely don't want to have to open four apps or five apps to yeah do what they so do in one. so with all the kind of you know onset of technology and all the rest of it yes this is really exciting and it offers lots of innovative ways to reach um, different audiences but the but the heart of that are still as you say human beings yeah and human beings which you know have wants and needs and emotions and all the rest of it and one of the kind of key things that we see coming out of effective um, creativity um, at Walk is is work that really uh, resonates emotionally and, mm. and creates this um, emotional narrative which enables people to uh, all these brands to, to connect with their, their audience mm. in a very powerful and very memorable way. Because that's something I want to talk to you about is uh, technology innovation because so much of what we hear in conversations in the industry this, these days is all about innovation with technology. You know, someone's got a new platform to do something or there's the here's a new technology solution uh, and there's all these salespeople out there selling to marketers and agencies that this is the next big thing or this is the, the solution. In actual fact, going back to your whole premise, all of these technology solutions should be judged on how they enhance uh, people's experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was, I was, it was really interesting to listen to the guy from Chope 
Um, uh, this week, so Chop is a oh, Chop um, is a uh, is an app where people can make reservations um, with restaurants across the region. Uh, and there was uh, Arif, the the founder, was talking at Mumbrella. But at the heart of kind of what they do is they're adding value to their restaurant partners by automating this and making it easier for them to kind of manage. Uh, restaurant bookings and all the rest of it. So it, it goes back to a fundamental human need. Yes, the tech is, is fantastic, but actually what's the human driver, what's the human need behind that and, and how they sell that into their restaurant mm. partners is by providing an automated service. Um, these guys should be cooks in the kitchen, they should be producing fantastic food. Um, but what the tech does is kind of takes all the, all the pain uh, away from the restaurant bookings and automates it for them in a fantastic way. Mm. Yeah, because I've seen too many marketers fall for the trap of buying these solutions, these technology solutions, only to then realise that it's like buying the latest big power drill and, first of all, not needing to drill any holes and, secondly, not really sure how to drill holes. So my my advice is resist the shiny new toy syndrome and kind of work out what is... uh, what are you trying to achieve? What, uh, what are your strategic priorities? Mm. Um, come up with your idea and then apply the right tech that is going to get your um, your message out there and to enhance the, the innovation or creativity that, you, that, that you're working on. But put the human being first, the, mm. the human truth first, and then put the technology second. Yeah, um, uh, I think the saying is technology is an enabler. So work out what what it is that you want to do and why you want to do it and then find the technology that will enable you to do it more efficiently at scale, whatever it is that that you're trying to achieve rather than buying the tool and then going, oh, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. And with the the kind of advent of technology, it's interesting. I think there was a report at the World Economic Forum in terms of what are the kind of key skill sets for people in the future. And number one or number two, I think number one actually was, was creativity actually. Mm. which is something that's inherently um, uh, can be uh, produced and championed by human beings uh, as opposed to uh, uh, robots or AI. Well, look, that's brilliant because the next thing I want to talk about is that there's an increasing body of evidence and thought that brands are being built by customer experience more than they're being built by advertising and cons that a person's perception of a brand is coming through more of their experience of it, which could include partly the comms, but you know, social media, friends, they, the way they're dealt with when they go into a store, the call center, their product experience, that this whole customer journey and, and all of the touch points along there is actually much more powerful than any single piece of communication or even campaign of communication. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember seeing some uh, some research on Walk actually, which said the uh, the biggest uh, factor that influences the net promoter score is is obviously um, customer service, um, and it's way way higher than than advertising. Mm. Um, but um, I think again, it comes back to um, you know all pervading idea, something that can pervade the communications, the marketing, the customer service how people operate at point of sale, and what is that customer journey. But I think it's absolutely right to put the customer at the, at the heart of that, work out who they are, and what they're looking for, how you can emotionally connect with them. Mm. Um, uh, and that, I believe, is you know, the right way to which, go. Which is why I like what you've been saying about creativity all along. You know, 
perhaps this is where uh, creative thinking, creative process, strategic process, is looking at all those touch points and actually finding what is the human truth in each of those that we could enhance or uh, enable. I mean, Steve Jobs said, uh, don't ask people uh, what they want, uh, work out what they need and give it to them. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which I think, you know, is part of that uh, creative intuition. It's actually being able to understand people and give them uh, an innovative or creative enhancement to their experience that surprises and delights them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's, um, I think it's an exciting time. Um, I think, yes, yeah, so technology enables uh, enables agencies to kind of get involved in lots of different areas beyond just the marketing. And if you can inform customer service or how um, how a chatbot might be used as part of the customer service experience, and you can help to instill the the DNA of the idea into how that chatbot actually communicates and the the, well, the, the brand the, personality, the, yeah. the, the, the tone of voice. Yeah. So there's lots of really interesting ways to be able to champion that idea and bring it to life and. In, in new, exciting, surprising ways that uh, can connect with the audience. Because mm. um, you, you talked earlier about, uh, you know, the creativity is the idea, and uh, agencies talk a lot about having the big idea. Um, my experience of the big idea is that it's often judged by marketers on how it will then fit into each of their comms channels. But on the basis of you know, the big idea working across the customer experience. We're actually looking at a big idea that can be executed as lots and lots of little ideas, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And as I said before, I think consumers are very savvy these days. They can decode stuff. You don't have to have matching luggage. You don't have to have, mm. uh, a, you know, an idea that looks and feels exactly the same in every different <laughs> channel. Or is literally exactly the same in every channel. Yeah. It becomes boring. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you can flex an idea and make it work with a particular um, channel or distribution point and, and, and have a bit of fun with that. Did you hear about um, KFC's Twitter account? I didn't know. Okay, so someone has decoded the fact that, you know, KFC's Twitter account globally has like millions of followers, but they only follow 11 people. Okay. And they worked out that they're the five Spice Girls and six guys called Herb. Get it? <laughs> yeah. 11 herbs yeah. and spices. Fantastic. And, when, you know, as soon as someone looked at that and worked it out and then shared it, it's gone absolutely viral yeah. on social media because it is so clever, yeah. and it will, you know you go, oh my god, whoever thought of that? Yeah. How absolutely clever! Something so small as the number of people we're going to follow on Twitter. Yeah, brilliant. We're going to I make it meaningful oh. and make me remember yeah. that KFC's proposition is it's eleven secret herbs and spices. Yeah. Well, the five Spice Girls are not so secret, but I didn't know any of the herbs. <laughs> I think no, I love I love that, um, and I've we see a lot of that sort of touch point creativity coming out in in campaigns. Uh, mm. Some really cool stuff. I mean, the one that's been talked about a lot this year was, um, and you talk, we were talking about Can earlier, but the Fearless Girl campaign did phenomenally mm -hmm. well at Can. But what I love about that um, particular campaign is. Yeah, so before they were, they'd always been talking about female empowerment and leadership, and they'd had the kind of usual sort of marketing collateral of thought leadership and conferences and that kind of stuff. But just by building the statue, 
of this fearless girl that can face off the bull in Wall Street, not only provoked so many conversations around the world, but in terms of the trades, and State Street is the third largest fund manager mm-hmm. um, in the States, their trades increased by 348%. Okay, so yes, agree, but then it comes out that they are an organisation that pays women generally lower than they pay their men. I heard that, and I can't speak to that. And I think that's, that's, that was obviously a PR issue that, you know, if you're going to champion these things and you're going to take right. a, a, yeah. a social purpose for start in your messaging, then make sure that you, <laughs> you can, can actually keep, live up to it. Live up to it. And, that's, that's a, and that's a key um, That's a key thing. Lots of people are jumping on the, um, you know, the social uh, purpose bandwagon. Um, some people are doing exceptionally well, but you've got to be careful. Don't well, look, d- d- don't get into this mess unless you can well, you can't or, deliver it. I mean, the, the way they should have dealt with that is when the story broke. Go, yes, we've just become aware of it, and this is what we're going to do to address it. Yeah, because I think people don't expect anyone to be perfect. We don't expect. We're so used to people letting us down. We're so used to organisations letting us down yeah. that we don't expect people to be perfect, but we do expect them to stop denying things I completely and agree. actually get on board and tell us, okay, we're not perfect, but these are the steps we're going to fix. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I think a bit of human fallibility, coming back yeah. to humanity again, yeah. is really important. Brands don't have to be absolutely perfect. We, you know, Social media enables brands to go live these days. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of brands are scared about going live, but it doesn't matter if there are a few trips and uh, and it doesn't look kind of quite so glossy and polished as, uh, as it has to be. A bit like this podcast. <laughs> a, bit, a bit like this podcast with, with kind of lorries going on in the background, which you can probably hear. But anyway, that's, that's, that, that's Chinatown in Singapore for you. <laughs> well, look, uh, we've, uh, we've run out of time, but uh, thanks for having me here at the uh, Asia headquarters of uh, Walk. And um, obviously, if people want to access uh, the, the data and the uh, case studies and things, they just need to contact you guys here, don't they, to, uh, to work out how um, to do that. Absolutely. Or you can go on to walk.com and you can uh, request a demo or a trial of our service and, and yeah, we can, we can get in touch. Okay. Well, one last question. What's your favourite advertising campaign? My favourite advertising campaign...